Algar Productions. You are listening to the Post Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 221, covering Prophet in Lace and Time's Orphan. Hi, friends. Hey. We're here. We showed up. You didn't think we'd show up, but here we are. So let's, uh, let me spin you a tale. Please. I spent the last three days in Montreal. Oh, right. Finalizing your uh, bureaucratic nightmare. My bureaucratic nightmare, which is now over. Uh Uh-huh. I was then on a plane for about six hours. I cramped, not great plane, in which I spilt coke all over myself and then my neighbor. Wow. Who was not even my wife. Just some stranger who I coked. Man. I came back from Montreal, which, if I had to use two words to describe, it would be gray and French. Okay. I arrived home, and I got to watch these episodes. Well, in fairness, you could have watched these before you left. I mean, I could have done a lot of things. Yeah. Congratulations, by the way. For for those of you who don't know, Matt is uh, Canadian. He married an American. They've been working on the paperwork to get him into America legally, and they have finally cleared the final hurdle. So, yes. So, hooray! Hooray, I can move to America. More yeah, importantly, yeah. once I'm in America, we can start doing the live shows. I, I wasn't, like, I wasn't being, like, of course that's my first thought, but on the show I gotta say, no, good for you and your life, and your wife, and your, your stuff. And your knife, and, uh... Yes, knifing around. <laughs> no, it is, it is great to finally, like, I've been... I've been through that whole process, and it is an ordeal. Oh, God. It's great to hear that you're through it now. But, speaking of ordeals, Uh this is, without a doubt, the worst pairing of episodes we will ever do for Deep Space Nine. I mean, we're almost at the end anyway. Yeah, but they, I can't, look, I knew for a fact I hated both of these episodes. I had no idea they were paired together until we started getting close. No, and it's not like... Other shows like say Next Gen, where they started sort of running out of ideas toward the end, there mm-hmm. like this this comes right on the heels of the best episode they ever did. Yep, and a couple of really good ones after that. And yep. like, it's it's just ridiculous roller coaster ride. If we could settle in with a show we knew we're not gonna like and just kind of make fun of it, that's one thing. But mm-hmm. but this show like will will feed us a steak and then give us a piece of crap between a hamburger bun. I mean, but that would, you know, then at least you've got the hamburger bun. Okay. Like, this is just a piece of crap and then another piece of crap. Does it at least have a sprig of parsley? No, because the presentation's not even good. I guess that's It's not even crap served well. Well, why don't you tell the fine folks and me, uh, I don't want to hear it, but I will pretend to listen and Uh. maybe there'll be some jokes in there, about profit and lace. Not even a good title. So let's tell a little story called Fuck This Episode. We begin with some run-of-the-mill sexual harassment, and it all goes downhill from there. Grand Negus Zek and, ugh, Moogie, arrive on the station with good news. Women on Ferenginar are officially allowed to wear clothes, but don't be fooled. That doesn't mean the episode is going to be any less sexist. Anyway, the news gets Zek deposed as Negus, and Liquidator Brunt, F-C-A, made temporary Negus. Funny, I could have sworn that he was the bottom rung of Ferengi culture, but what do I fucking know? I've only watched every episode of this goddamn show. 
Quark, Ram, and Nog are only able to convince one Ferengi to support Zack's reinstatement, and he really wants to meet financial wizardess... Uh, Moogie. Unfortunately, Quark gives her a heart attack because hilarity. Well, now we need a new financial female. Rom suggests Lita, but we need a Ferengi female. Well, surely it'd be a simple matter to surgically alter her into a Ferengi, right? I mean, we literally do that shit all the time. No, it's probably a better idea to just give Quark some fake tits and shove him in a dress. So the Negus' last hope, Nilva, arrives, and in accordance with Pratchett's 14th law, law of Comedy, instantly falls in love with Quark. And, there, and there's an extended attempted rape scene, which is hilarious. And then Brunt shows up, and Quark gets naked to prove he's a lady, and everything works out except that I have to watch this piece of shit episode. Uh, but Odo hugs Quark, so it's not all bad. <laughs> okay, so going back to, like, season one, all the way through the various Ferengi episodes to now, there's a reason that every time we've done a Ferengi episode, I've sort of gone, oh boy, here we go. And mm -hmm. it's because I think they're all this one. Mm -hmm. And looking back, some of them have been pretty okay. I've, yeah. I've even admitted to liking a few. Yeah, they, um, I mean, there's a spec there's a wide spectrum of Ferengi episodes, and they go from decent and funny to this. Well, most of them are just stupid broad comedy, and mm. this is the worst of the lot by far, but... In my mind, having seen the show the last time, maybe five or ten years ago, this was like, oh, God, they're all like that. And mm -hmm. so that's why every single time it was like, ugh, the Ferengi. Because I, I honestly remembered them being all this bad, and yeah. this is by far the worst one. By this far. Is just... Oh, this is one of the worst episodes of Star Trek. It, uh, I don't know about that. It's pretty fucking... It's definitely one of the worst episodes of DS9. Oh, yeah. And in fact, we are... For a change, fandom agrees with us on this. Like, there's been a bunch of polls, and it's usually at the bottom. It's this, and Worf and Risa, and uh, Ala Moraine. Uh, yeah, those are all pretty bad. I The Worf-Risa one was had its moments, though. It wasn't nearly as bad. It wasn't like the worst episode ever or anything. No, but... And yeah. infamously, the one that we hate that everyone else seems to like was nowhere on the list. No, it's probably very high on some other list. Right. Lists of great episodes that are very important and executed perfectly and have great hats in them. <laughs> but the thing is, I wasn't going to say it, man. <sighs> I was going to count on the longtime listeners to remember what we were talking about and just let the new listeners not uh, not worry about it. But the episode Such exquisite hats. Yeah, great hats and, and great guys wearing the hats. Uh-huh. But my point with that is... We're not always on the right side of history there. Sometimes the majority of Star Trek fans say, we like this, and you and I disagree. Yep. But in this case, we we appear to be in the majority. So. Well, good. It's nice to be here for a change. I, you know, I mean, we think what we think, and I honestly don't want to do a show where we have to pretend to like stuff just because other people like it. Like, people, I think, partially come here for our opinions. Knowing that they're our opinions only, mm. and you're free to think what you like. But that, that said, this is terrible. Yes, this is fucking... Objectively terrible. Yes. You can hold this up as an example of something terrible. If, you know, if aliens came to Earth and were all like, show us something terrible, we'd be all like, well, fucking check out Prophet and Lace. And they'd go, oh man, that's what you think aliens are like? Yeah. <laughs> I think the, then they'd be all like, I think we need a lot more backstory. You can't just show us this one random episode of this one random TV show. Hold yeah. it up as the most awful thing and then expect us to agree with you. I mean, we don't even speak your language, first of all. <laughs> There's a lot of problems here. Yeah. Any, anyway, to cut a long story short, we're enslaving your planet. Yeah. Really not for profit and lace, though, just because that was just, our... That, that was why we came in the first place. Yeah. Um, 
That's a fun story. <laughs> and it shows why we work so well together. <laughs> Just sort of build on it, escalate. Uh, so, okay, my main problem, this isn't actually my real bad thing, mm. but my main problem with all of these, with the Ferengi thing, we were just talking about this a minute ago with uh, your wife who uh, doesn't watch a lot of Star Trek, so only sort of gets an occasional glimpse into what we're dealing with. And was furious about this episode. I, well, but I mean, that that's good in a way. Like, it gives us, like, usually the people we talk to are people who watch it week to week like us. Mm. So it's nice to occasionally get that outsider perspective. Like, what does this look like to someone who doesn't know all this stuff? Like, just coming in. Yeah. What do you think? And she thought it was terrible, too. Mm -hmm. But to a, to a larger point, it shows, just, like, they're trying to do the sexism ironically, and they're trying to make a point, and they're trying to do satire, and it just doesn't work. None of it works. It looks like they have, like, such a, such a dim, broad view of what women are like. Yeah. And it's really insulting, especially for a show that has such great female characters in it. Like... Look yeah, this show, you, chronologically, for the first time, had, like, Dax and Kira especially, just, mm -hmm. like, like the first two really good, strong female characters in Star Trek. Yes. Like, you know, like, I... This show knows how to do women. Yeah. You know, like, not just Dax and Kira, but, I mean, like, a lot of different women. No, but those are the two we see every week. Yeah. There, there are others. Yeah. One of its best villains is a is a, is a women. Is a women. Learn to talk, Matt. No. Is a, is a female. Yes. I may have pointed this out before. Somebody on the internet pointed out that whenever someone calls women females, it just comes off like Ferengi. Like, mm -hmm. it's not, you know, which kind of feeds back into what I'm saying. Like, well, the females. Yeah. Nobody says that. Come on. No. Don't be gross. But it's... We were talking about this, and it's like early in Next Gen, there was a throwaway line. One of the Ferengi said, you let your women wear clothes, and mm -hmm. they locked themselves into that choice. Yep. And so they have to build this whole culture that doesn't make any sense. I mean, really, when you think about it, it would just it would not make sense at all. No. For them to get to the point where they can travel through interstellar space, and their women are still kept home like slaves. Mm-hmm. First of all. But second of all, uh, I don't know. It's... I yeah, just, I don't know enough numbers to go through that list. It's so. just awful. It is. It's, yeah. So let's go into some of the things that are awful about it. All right. Do um, it. you know what? Let me start with the big one, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, so this episode starts out with Quark basically flat out sexually harassing one of his employees. Uh, he hands her a book on Umox and then tells her that he needs, that she needs to start being nicer to him. Yeah. Now, that's terrible. It's also not out of character. Well, actually, if we can sidetrack for just a moment, mm -hmm. my bad thing is the inconsistency of Quark. The fact that just last week he was saying Dax was too good to repair stuff. Well, that's... And now he's back to season one. Uh, you could do a little more for your boss, eh? Uh -huh. eh? Here's a book on how to give hand jobs. Like, come on, man. I don't know. I just feel like they wanted us to think that he's grown and changed a little, but then he's right back to this. Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. It's like so. Anyway, we start off this episode with this with with horrible sexual harassment. Yeah. Um. We end the episode with Quark still still on female hormones. Because those women, they're they're hysterical. You know how that goes, right, ladies? Uh -huh. Boy, howdy. Uh. And she comes back up and is like, "I read the book." He's like, mm -hmm. "It was horrible that I gave you that book, and you shouldn't read it, and you should have no interest in." I'm a horrible sexual monster that. I'm giving you many raises. Yep. To which she replies, 
no, it sounded like fun. We should totally be into this. That's a horrible message. Yep. Do not... Do, do not have a dude sexually harass some woman and then have her be all like, oh, that's not such a bad idea. Maybe I should be fine with my boss sexually harassing me. That is terrible! Yeah, it is. And, you know, on the one hand, this show can occasionally do sort of complex characters and, like, that we have the strong women, so maybe there's some weak women there as well. Like, it's it's not so bad if you show a broad spectrum of people and they're not all virtuous and they're not all, like, honorable. But on the other hand, yeah, in a specific episode about how sexism is bad, maybe this isn't the place yeah, to have a character like that. That's gross. Yeah. That you know what that feels like? That feels like but going back to the original series when uh with Spock being all like, Hey Yeoman Rand, you were totally into getting raped, right? And then they had a laugh on the bridge about Yeah, it's fucking disgusting. Yeah. You're better than this, Star Trek. You're especially better than this now. Yeah. But that's Ugh. the thing. When they do these Ferengi episodes, they're trying to like they're trying to make a point. They're trying to say isn't sexism bad, but they go so far with it that it just seems sexist in itself. Yeah. And actually, Armin Shimmerman said he didn't like the fact that Quark didn't learn anything by the end of this. Mm-hmm. He feels like he should have. Yeah. So that's something. It would be the only benefit of this fucking episode. Mm, yeah. It's yeah. like, well, at least I'm a better person now. Nope. No. Still gross. But like I say, that's my bad thing. It feels like Quark has been on this journey. This, You know, he's learned a lot about this stuff. Like, he's come to terms with his mom being kind of powerful. Mm-hmm. He had that uh, woman posing as a man in his bar, like, in season one or two, like, way early on. Like, he's he's had moments where he's realized the value of, of women, and he's gone back on all that. Yeah. And it just it feels like this guy's smarter than that. He would learn, you know? Mm-hmm. But... But no, let's just make let's just have jokes instead. But my hilarious my, jokes. Uh, that's that's a whole other thing for me, because uh, I don't think like there's a whole subset of comedy. Um, the the American Film Institute. This is like 15 years ago now. Put out a list of the funniest movies ever made, mm-hmm. and you know those lists are always wrong. No matter who you are, like you always disagree with some of it. Yeah, but. Like, in the top five, there were two movies about a dude pretending to be a chick. There was uh-huh. Some Like It Hot and there was Tootsie. Yeah. I don't think I... Like, the whole premise is, ha-ha, manly man pretending to be a woman. Get mm. it? It's so hard for women. And... It, uh, I've never found that funny. It just doesn't work for me. No, it's a, it's really cheap. It is, and I feel like I'm... I, I don't know. I've still got plenty of privilege and plenty of like awful sexist things that I do that I don't even realize I do but for the most part I feel more enlightened now than I was 10 years ago 20 years ago whatever and so to me now it also seems just like like there's scenes where they play up the fact that Rom knows a little about being feminine Mm -hmm. and it's ha ha it's funny oh the man knows about feminine things Uh and it's just like come on man aren't we past this no we are not apparently but you know what I'm saying like there's there's so much sort of veiled homophobia mm-hmm. and and I would even say transphobia. Oh, this episode is super transphobic. I I mean, my eyes are more open to that now because a good friend of ours is openly trans, but Yes. I, it's I I like maybe I wouldn't be aware of that otherwise. I don't know. It's it's more on my mind. Yeah. But it still it sure feels that way. Mhm. I mean, if you feel that way too, then I mean, I don't it's hard because we're both, you know, Ugh. we're both a little biased. I don't know. It's just, it's just fucking gross and insulting and gross. I just ha ha man in a dress. Yeah, it, we're, dark, in general feels a bit 
you know. That feels like the easiest joke ever, except for maybe a flat-out fart joke. Well, and that's why when Monty Python or Kids in the Hall play female characters and they walk out in a dress and everyone laughs before they even open their mouths, it's mm-hmm. like, that that's not the joke. No. Like, particularly for Kids in the Hall, they didn't have women in the troupe. They just played the women themselves. And, okay, yeah, it's good for a cheap laugh, but the joke come from the characters. Yeah. <laughs> Not from just the, ah. Man in a dress! Ha! Fuck that you. was, like, that was how Comedy Central sold kids in the hall in their commercials. <laughs> Coming up, Dave Foley in a dress. Ugh. Like, that's, no. Yeah, but he's funny in a dress. Yeah, he's playing, like, a character. Mm-hmm. Because there's five dudes, there's no women, they don't want to just do, character like, sketches with all men, so they play the women, too. I, I don't know. But, yeah. And really, they did a lot of implying that Rom, like, you, you caught that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, earrings work like this, and everyone just looks at him. Uh-huh. Come on, man. Yeah. Just Fucking terrible. shut up. Just shut up. <laughs> I just, I don't think any of it's funny. And you've talked before about how you like the idea that we're in, like, the, the ideal culture should be. If you feel like that's what your body should be, they can make it that way. Yeah, they can just flat out, like, like, trans, uh, trans issues aren't, like, a problem anymore because our surgery is so advanced. If that's what you want to be, you can be, you know? I mean, that's just one aspect of of the issues, but yes. Well, yes. That that, part would be. But that, that part there. Yeah. I mean, they, they made it pretty clear that it only took Bashir a couple of hours to. Yeah. To make Quark a lady. I mean, that's the thing. The, like, our surg- when our surgery is so advanced that you can be whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, you can be whatever race, whatever gender. Yeah. Like, they could just, they can completely change your appearance. Mm-hmm. We had that one where uh, somebody was disguised as one of Chief O'Brien's old war buddies, and up close, he couldn't even tell. Yeah. Like, you can change your, your appearance that minutely that you, you fool people into thinking you're someone else. Yeah. So yeah, it 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 seems like they should be a little more enlightened in a in a society that's capable of doing that. No, because that's not funny. <sighs> Neither is this. No, it's not. Oh, I'm so mad at this episode. Did you manage to find a good thing? I did actually. Okay. I had a good thing that turns into a bad thing. Oh, good. So I actually really like the character of uh, what was his name, Nilva. The, oh, the the cola the, magnate. The cola magnate. Mm-hmm. He comes. He comes on the. He comes onto the ship, and I just wish he had a giant cane to wave around. No, he's very bombastic when he yeah, shows up. Yeah, it was awesome. Ah, like, Nog comes and, Well, Nog greets him at the at the airlock. Yeah. He's like, ah, you doing, my boy? Here, have some cola. It's fucking hilarious. It, uh, that is um, that is uh, noted comedian Henry Gibson, who uh, he was on Laugh-In. He was the voice of Wilbur the pig in oh. uh, Charlotte's Web. He's done a million other things, but those are the two things that oh. stick in my head. He like, was great for the first half of the episode. He's an old comedy guy, so, like, good choice. Yeah. Um, the problem is when he gets Quark alone in his quarters and yeah. turns all Peppy Le Pew, <laughs> Benny Hill, super rapey, and it's really awful. Yeah, it is. I, I fucking... I hate that shit, you know? Yeah. Like, that chasing women around the table thing, it's disgusting and embarrassing, and... I swear this was my good thing. <laughs> well, the guy playing him was good. Yes, he was. He did a very good job. He's a good choice to play a Ferengi, and he was a different kind of Ferengi than we'd seen before, but he totally worked. Mm-hmm. But, but, um, but then, yeah. that That's all horrible. Yeah. And gross. 
It is. The thing is, even if you remove, like, if you just say, okay, this exists purely as comedy, forget putting it in the perspective of, like, like, forget applying logic, forget, you know, the fact that it is sexist and horrible, like, just, just look at it purely in the terms of jokes. Mm -hmm. It's, it's still not funny. No. So that doesn't work. It's like slapstick. Okay, if you stop thinking, wow, that guy really got hurt, and just react to the slapstick part, it's still gotta be funny. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't. No. And it's... DS9, it's not like you can't do do comedy, you know? Mm. Like, no, I would uh, say that Trouble with, or uh, Trials and Tribulations is a very funny episode. I agree. Trials and Tribulations is also the only good time travel episode they did. That is, well, that is also true. That, that one is a special case. Can you name another comedy episode they did that was really good? And I'm putting you on the spot here to remember 120 episodes, but um, just, you know. Not off the top of my head. Okay. But if you if you feel like there are more examples, I believe you. All right. I just, you know, for one thing, the titles are not memorable. No, that is definitely true. And for another, we, we did a little less uh, pre-show prep than usual, so you're probably still kind of waking up. So you, you might not have them off the top of your head, but you're you're saying that there have been other good comedy. I am. Um, I will stand by that. Okay, fair enough. Whereas I feel like there have been good attempts, but overall, I, I could do without them. I'll just put it that way. Mm. Like, they haven't been worth the effort. Uh, my good thing is I'm glad that cola still exists in the 24th century. Yeah, that's a plus. I'm a big advocate of cola. It's my favorite beverage. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, if you had asked me, like, when we started this, if cola was still around in the 24th century, I would have said no. No. But, you... I mean, they still got root beer, so I hope they still They do cola. still have root beer, yeah. I assumed root beer took over. Mm. Which, I still that's... because like, um, I like root beer. But... Yeah, root beer's fine, but, I mean, like, it's, like, three or four on my list of, uh, sodas. Yeah, I mean, my top ten is all colas. Yeah. I mean, even if you break it down more than that, like... Well, vanilla colas and cherry colas. Yeah. But, like, cola, Dr. Pepper, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, Dr. Pepper's cola adjacent. I would drink Sprite before I would drink uh, root beer. Really? Eh, yeah. Not me. Or, you know, that sort of... You know, the Sprite 7-Up. Sierra Mist. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, let's not go nuts here. It's all the same. Um, Fucking Sierra Mist. Shut up, Sierra Mist. <laughs> coming around here telling me what to do. Would you go fuck yourself? How about that? Wow. Matt, are, are you mad at the episode or are you mad at Sierra Mist? I can be mad at many things. <laughs> this episode and Sierra Mist can both suck my ass. I I like Sierra Mist, so... Well, you're welcome to it. I bet in a blind taste test you could not tell the difference between that Sprite and 7-Up. I bet you're right. <laughs> All right, then. But I'm still going to be mad and opinionated. Well... We have we have good reason to be. Uh, there's a there's a callback, I guess you could call it. I call it more of a stutter, <laughs> where everyone would call um, Brunt the Nagus, and then someone would say acting Nagus, uh -huh. and it's like I'm a fan of repetitive comedy if it's done right. Yep. Like Arrested Development brought back the same jokes over and over again, but you have to do it in a fresh, interesting way. Yeah. You don't you just, just keep saying the same thing. Don't just yell. No. There was a lot of speaking in unison in this episode too. Oh yeah. And a lot of shots of, like, everyone, like, all the main characters staring at something. Well, Alexander Siddig directed this, and this, I'm not positive, but I haven't seen his name that I can remember on another episode as director, no, so... we, when we know, we usually remark on that if we've noticed it. Yeah, and if he has done before, he's done maybe one other one. Uh -huh. And so, what I'm saying is he's probably a new director, and he probably tried some stuff that maybe didn't work so well. Yeah. Like, I, I'm willing to give it a bit of a pass for that, just because, like, he might be trying something new. And from what I understand, he and Armin tried to make this a little more serious, 
and the script was obviously more slapstick. And mm. so those two things were at odds. Yeah. Like he and Armin thought they were doing some like satire. <laughs> well, let's not go nuts here. And it was farce. Uh-huh. And they just, they didn't, but I mean, that does, that does actually contribute a bit to what didn't work. Oh, definitely, yeah. Was a couple of people were taking it really seriously, and a couple of people were treating it like like ridiculous broad comedy. This needs more running around. Yeah. But we're making a serious statement. Oh, well. Are we? Make it while you run around. Does anyone know? Does anyone really know what the philosophy of this episode is? Get it out of the way so we can finish the season? All right, thank you. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. No. Not, not good. And there were a lot of, like, wacky coincidences like the episode opens with rom thinking that moogie's dead uh, there's this whole thing i'm worried about our mother and then it turns out he can't reach anyone on the planet yeah really? you didn't lead with that no that's a big one like i'm not worried about our planet i'm worried about our mother and also our planet mm-hmm. uh, <sighs> yeah but then then just by sheer coincidence uh the, the nagus and moogie show up yep just uh Oh, we, we were here. You do it. We were here the whole time, Quark. Quark! I I have three plans. One, two. Oh, what was three again? I'm stupid. Yes. Yeah. Such a good impression. Ugh. That wasn't even, like I'm still kind of waking up. That wasn't even you know. Why can't we work the Grand Nagus onto Sarcastic Voyage? <laughs> That'd be funny, right? I I don't know. I'm sure we could work Wallace Shawn into something. Mm. Well, they can be one of the presidents. Yeah. President yeah, Zek. The only, the only, like, I, I couldn't even come up with a lot of good jokes just because everything was so bad. Yep. I did. I was pretty proud of this one, though. There's a point where uh, Quark and Ram and Nog are all calling people to uh, to come, like, visit the station. Yep. And meet with the Nagus. And, like, there's this whole montage of them on the phone. And all I could think is only closers get wrecked in Gino. <laughs> I like that. That's the that's the only joke that I wrote here. Like, there's there's thirty jokes that that just flopped because the I hated the episode, but I was pretty happy with that one. Ugh. Um, what else? Um, oh, I do it. Okay. Um, I like the dueling. Uh, I like the dueling Mayhardus. Oh, yeah, Tiny Ron played. Uh, the he usually plays. Uh, the Nagus's bodyguard. And he also played a different member of the same race bodyguarding who for, was bodyguarding uh, for Brunt. Brunt. And yeah. they, they spend all their scenes together giving each other the stink eye, which I think is hilarious. Yep. At first I was like, wait, does he work for him now? Oh. It's like, no, he's he... got his own. Yeah, I see. There's just like a planet of clones. <laughs> yep. Well, like that movie. Yeah, planet of clones. Planet of clones. Yep. Clone high. Nope. Um. Fucking... Zek being into Quark as a woman was disgusting. Yeah, well, yeah. Although I did like him acknowledging how disgusting it was. There was it. It was an interesting way, like, like if you peel away the the horrible comedy of it, um, there there were some interesting like, uh, Lita was trying to teach Quark how to act more like a convincing woman, and mm. she was actually pretty, you know, like, no, this is our situation. Here's how we're dealing with it. And here's what you do. Yep. And like Nog walks in, and he's like, "Huh, you're a lady now." Okay, yeah, like that, that made me laugh. Like the the various reactions to yep. it were kind of cool. I just wish some of them hadn't been so gross. Just sort of pops his head in. Well, I think you look nice. Yeah, I think like he's he's been he's been indoctrinated by the the, the Federation, and you know, while uh, Amanda would say there's you know 
there are no gay or trans people in the Federation. She's not here right now, so yep. I'm going to say that they're open-minded and, and totally fine with it. Oh, God, she's scratching at my window. <laughs> Manda, go away! The rest of my notes are just me writing, ha, 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 ha. My notes have a lot of screaming. Yeah, I noticed that. A lot of uh, the letter A. Yeah. Uh, the, the cola will sure make your teeth green. Uh -huh, huh. Men don't kiss men. Uh -huh, huh. Yeah. All right. Uh, um, speaking of cola, your quote. Oh, yeah. I like this line. While the news isn't all bad, the commissioner who's agreed to come, it's Nilva. The chairman of Sluggo Cola. He's a very powerful and influential voice within the FCA. Unfortunately, he's an influential voice for the status quo. I don't think Sluggo Cola has changed its advertising slogan in 300 years. Drink Sluggo Cola, the slimy cola in the galaxy. Pretty good line. Yep. And now I, I suggest, I table the, or I, yeah, I, I put forth the motion that we never speak of this again. Uh, I will agree with that if only. Only if we can come back to it with disdain. Uh, well, yeah, we, we probably will. Okay. But I'd like to no longer discuss it and move on to... Oh, no, I w Oh, God. Yeah. This is this is the lady or the tiger, except the lady is also a tiger. <laughs> but I will say it is awful for completely different reasons. Time's orphan. Right. Maybe I don't like episodes that start with times. Well, you do have a problem with time. Arrows, orphans... It's the fire in which we burn. Yeah, I've heard that. Pretty. Here we go. Keiko's back, and within literally 60 seconds, she's yelling at Miles for eating non-Japanese food and being passive-aggressive about him getting a cat. <laughs> so, with the happy family reunited, they all decide to go on a picnic on some Bajoran colony planet. Not to actual Bajor, which is only hours away and full of beautiful pastoral landscapes. No, the one thing these guys clearly need after all that time apart is a long road trip in space. So after they commit vast amounts of finite resources during a war to find a quiet spot to eat. Well, I was going to say egg salad, but it's probably a traditional Japanese meal of tempura and paki. They settle in for that. And then Molly disappears. O'Brien, per the traditions of his culture, swears to use his very particular set of skills to find the people who have TAC-3N his daughter. <laughs> Turns out Molly fell into a time portal because this planet is just lousy with time portals or something? And since the chief's particular set of skills involved the transporter, he eventually beams her back from the past. So he and Keiko deal with that until they give up and send her back. Then original young Molly comes back through the portal like none of this ever happened. Meanwhile, Worf and Dax volunteer to watch young Kiriyoshi. Worf insists that he can be a good caregiver, despite Dax's doubts and evidence to the contrary named Alexander Rozhenko. Fine, Worf tells Jadzia. Leave me alone with the child for one hour. If he dies, you were right, and I'll owe you a Coke. <laughs> or Slogo Cola. Oh, right, of course. No, I think that's just for Ferengi because it's got, like, algae in it. Ah, uh, yeah. Because slugs and snails. And... See, because they're gross. Yeah, they're they... a gross culture. We're not talking about that bad episode. We're talking about this bad episode. Ugh, fuck. This Which... episode's fucking dumb. Which literally, like, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of stepping on your bad thing here. Might as well not have happened. Yep. Didn't he? Well, you know what? Let's get right into this. Yeah, let's. Why the f There are literally no consequences to this piece of shit fucking episode. <laughs> None whatsoever. fucking ever. Like, they try and do an O'Brien Must Suffer episode again, but they don't have the balls to just execute it. So, this episode originally started off as a plan by one of the writers to kill off Alexander because he fucking hated him. Well, it was going to be an Alexander episode where he falls through a portal and comes through and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. 
Uh, and the idea was to age him up to, like, you know, adult age and make him resentful of Worf, which, you They've know... they already done. Which, uh, time, I found, has done quite admirably. Yeah. We didn't need any kind of portal to make it go no, faster. the normal passage of time where one year equals one year. Yeah, no, that, uh, that did the trick fine, thanks. Yeah. We don't need, we don't need magic. Although, on a sliding scale for Alexander, where one year equals five years, but still. He, well, yes, he, re- he, uh, he ages in reverse dog years. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, like, this, this episode literally does not matter at all. We basically, they basically, uh, beam Molly back out of the past. Mm-hmm. She's an 18-year-old. Uh, instead of trying to rescue her, they just take her back to the station. Um, they spend maybe three days trying to get her to be, trying to make her a real person again, and then give up and tr- and take her out to the woods. Uh, where luckily she falls into the same time hole, runs into young Molly, and sends her back out. So none of this mattered. Okay, I I would I'm I'm gonna play devil's advocate. I don't agree with this position, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take this position just for the sake of what the hell. Um, episodes like this where it doesn't matter, where everything goes back to normal at the beginning, or you know at the end. Um, it's like a what if. It's like a this could have happened, but then thankfully it didn't. Uh huh. That's that's the best I can come up with. That it's it's just it's fucking it's there there is a way to do an episode like this where the even if even if everything goes back to normal the consequences still matter. We have that episode where Chief O'Brien was in prison for 20 years. Like Right. I mean we don't touch on it again, but it's still something he has to deal with for the rest of his life. Right. Instead we have this where it's just like, well, we can't ever get our daughter back. Oh, we did. I okay, I have mixed feelings about the Okay, so yeah, they they send her through the portal. 18-year-old Molly suddenly goes to the exact point where she went in the first place when she was 8. Yep, they ran it backwards. But no, 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 they didn't run anything backwards. They just the thing is still doing what it did before. Like that that actually made sense to me. It it was still sending people back exactly to that point, so it made sense mm. to me that she would go back to the point that she already went, and it made sense that she saw her younger self, sent her back through. But then you get the whole paradox thing, where then old Molly never existed, never could have sent young her back. Yep. So that that didn't make any sense. Which is also something Chief O'Brien touches on. They're like, well, let's just try again. And he's like, well, then this woman will disappear and have never existed. Oh, well, I guess we're stuck so? with her then. But that's, like, so? Like, does this That's person... the best argument they have is, yes, but this person in front of you would no longer exist. Well, this person represents a... Failure and abandonment. Yeah. Why does this, like... This is an alternate version of our daughter that we would much rather be replaced with one that had a loving family and grew up literate and civilized with a with a family. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with making her no longer exist? Yeah, fucking just boot her back in the time hole. I mean, Star Trek is full of examples where they see a future that is wrong that they want to correct. Yep, happens all the how, time. How is this any different? Yep. But they treat it like, no, 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 we can't we can't undo her existence because no. she's covered in filth and doesn't know how to talk. Covered in filth. She's like the movie Nell. Also, as Mal pointed out numerous times throughout the episode, she has very lovely hair for someone who has who has been living by herself for ten years. Well, you saw how, how much she was into being brushed. That is true. She must have like found some fish bone or something and has just been, you know, taking care of herself. Yep. But like a cartoon fishbone, because you can't comb your hair with a real fishbone. Oh no! But a cartoon fishbone works perfectly. Right, exactly. She stole it. She stole it after that cat knocked a dustbin over <laughs> on her head, <laughs> which is what he loves doing. 
Heathcliff, Heathcliff, no one should terrorize Chief O'Brien's feral daughter. <laughs> I, 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 my bad thing Please. is, uh, are time portals really so blasé now? I, apparently, apparently we just, this, uh, this planet, this planet, which is a Bajoran colony. Yeah, an like, early not- Bajoran colony, apparently, like. Like, I made jokes about them using resources order, but it's not that far away, and the Bajorans, co- like, colonized it a hundred years ago or something. Yeah. But, I mean, like... Like, it's not like they went to the Guardian of Forever planet or whatever. Well, they kind of, like... I mean, they didn't, but they kind of did. This is just another Guardian of Forever. It's just another time hole sticking I around in an ancient planet. Fucking... The, the fact that there's just a cave with a time hole in it... Yeah. That someone can just wander into... I mean, I don't like that, but on the other hand, I will say, you and I have both been on record as saying we sometimes like it when Star Trek just says, ah, fuck it, we deal with this stuff all the time. Like, it, it sometimes it's nice for them to just ignore the constant sense of wonder and just get on with it. Yeah. And I respect that they want to say, fuck it, it's a time hole, you've seen this <laughs> before, let's move on. But I don't think it was done very well. Fucking fell in a time hole. Why but, the fuck not? But you and I have both said that. You you love it when characters say, oh, I'm dealing with some Star Trek shit here. I guess. Ugh. I don't know. If the episode is better, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. But when it's when it sucks like this is just all like, it's a fucking time hole. Well, it, there's a difference between winkingly self-aware and uh, lazy and bad. Yeah. This this falls in the latter category, I would say. Yeah. But every now and then they're like, "Yeah, we know this is ridiculous. Whatever." <sighs> it's it's like uh, that one, the the shrinking episode where Kira, you know, just like outright laughs at the idea. Oh my god, you're gonna shrink? That's so stupid. <laughs> like that was that was refreshing. Yes. This is just like, yep, time hole. Okay, time hole. moving on. It's just mm. your run of the mill everyday time hole. Yeah. What are you gonna do? But they're like they're they're in a spot that they picked presumably for isolation. But surely, someone mm-hmm. like the Bajorans are roughly Starfleet level, like Federation level technology, right? They would have picked up the Chrono whatevers, right? Yep. Yeah, the Chronotons. I assume Chronotons, but I don't, you know, Crutons. some kind of some kind of special energy. Yep. The time travel crap gives off. Yeah, especially no. like like Chief O'Brien is a Star Trek regular. Yeah. Like at the very least, he would be all like, "I better check. I better check this planet for random episode making crap." Yeah, let me let me look at the list of tropes here and make <laughs> sure that there's no. Well, I well, I'm going on vacation, so probably I should check to make sure nothing horrible is going to happen. Yep. The last time someone I know went on vacation, it started a war. <laughs> well, actually, the last time someone I know went on vacation, it was Worf last week. But yeah. that's not important right now. Worf took Karyoshi on vacation with him. <laughs> Well, I mean, I had one scheduled. I mean, <laughs> I just sort of incorporate whatever I'm doing that week into my vacation schedule. Come along, Kiryoshi. We're going to go fuck up Rising again. And really, that was your good thing, right? Their whole, uh, the whole... I fucking could... On the other hand, I could have watched an episode where Worf babysits forever, basically. Well, this he... was... We were talking to, to your wife about this. Yep. About that whole fish out of water. Like, Worf works great. Like, early Alexander episodes I loved because watching this proud warrior raise a child is hilarious. Yeah. The way he sort of throws himself into it, too, is really funny. Like, he takes it as... There's this great scene where he uh, he, he lists all of his great achievements. Just, I have fought. I have fought countless Actually, this is, this is my quote. Oh, well, then please. Yes. <sighs> 
Is he all right? He is fine. He just will not go to sleep. Did you change him? I changed him. Did you feed him? I fed him. Did you read him a story? I read him a story. Did you sing to him? Until my throat was raw. Sounds like you tried everything. I'll take over from here. That is not necessary. Or if you're exhausted, get some sleep. No. I am a Klingon warrior and a Starfleet officer. I have piloted starships through Dominion minefields. I have stood in battle against Kelvins twice my size. I courted and won the heart of the magnificent Jadzia Dax. If I can do these things, I can make this child go to sleep. I love among his accomplishments is conquering the mighty Jadzia Dax. Yep. That is that's that's really, it's very sweet. But the fact it that is. he's just like, I have done all this. I will not be stopped by an infant who refuses to go to sleep. There's a bit of, and this is actually classic comedy that I kind of like. There's, it's a bit of Popeye. Yes! Tough guy Popeye has to, like, Sweet Pea always sort of outsmarts him. <laughs> like, Olive leaves him to take care of the kid, and the kid always wanders off and gets into trouble, and it's like, wow, this guy can, like, punch out a guy ten times his size, but this little baby is completely outsmarted, and that's delightful. No, Mal, uh, Mal turns to me and says, is this going to turn into Wharf meets Baby's Day Out? I'm like, I hope so. That sounds way better. Yeah, fucking uh, fucking Kiryoshi crawling along like a uh, like a like a big platform, a construction girder. Yeah, exactly. While stuff falls all around him, and Worf's just like, oh no, Kiryoshi. Yeah, which goes back to old Popeye cartoons. Like it's yep. exactly the same thing. He gets an anvil on his head. Yep. But see, that's funny. Or like, a barrel in a classic way that like <laughs> that the Ferengi episode wasn't. Yep. I d- I don't know that I can articulate the difference, but there's a definite. There's difference. definitely a difference there. It's well, still it's, sort of classic, almost it, hack, like, comedy, but... The execution's better, basically. It's well, like... Okay, yeah. Like, you know, it's war, like it's Worf and his personality that we watched set up over yeah. many years. Yeah, a, a, and, an entire series and then three quarters of another series. Yeah, and then a baby. Yep. Who he will not be defeated by. <laughs> Damn it. I, like, Dorn does this thing that seems easy, but it's not. And actually, I would say Patrick Stewart did it as well. Where the very stoic guy suddenly reveals the cracks in his armor and he's like, he's actually soft. Yep. Like that's that could be so hack and so bad, but Dorn the the first time you just see his face before he even says anything, where he realizes Dax has a toddler in their in their quarters and he's like, oh baby, wait, no. I mean honor, honor. No, he's he keeps he keeps his guard down in front of her. Yes. Like he doesn't put it back up when she notices mm. but later on when uh bashir and o'brien come in he's like, not nothing nothing <laughs> who's not saying gonk gonk to your little to your little child nope definitely not totally not doing that there's a there's a really sweet scene at the end where uh uh, uh yoshi bumps his head or something and he has mm-hmm. to uh, Worf has to call Dr. Bashir up to get him looked at, and he's fine, because it's a fucking baby. Like, they... Yeah, they fall and bump into things, and yeah. that happens sometimes. But there's a look on Worf's face, like he's just been through hell. Oh, God, what did I do? Well, she was I, right. I am a monster. Yep. I am a monster who has destroyed a baby. <laughs> there will be no penance great enough for me. I must spend many hours on, on the holodeck whipping myself. <laughs> I mean, I was gonna do that anyway. But, but now it will be his penance... Yeah. And not just because, well, it's been a week and I need to go on vacation again. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it is it is fun. And, you know, it, it's, um, 
uh, Jedzia comes at the very end of the episode and says, "What is? I don't know what he actually said. I want to say gonk just because it's funny. It sounds. But, it was pretty close to gonk. Yeah. What is a gonk? Can you tell me that, please? Oh, it's one of those droids that's box-shaped with two person feet coming out the bottom. Right. It's a gonk Be- droid. Yeah. Ball droids are ridiculous, but that's yes. fine. Um, I gotta roll on out of here. I don't get it. But uh, she's like, what is gonk? The, the little the, the Kiriyoshi keeps saying that. What is that? And he just smiles like, good. I will, teach him, I will teach him to kill. Yes. <laughs> okay, but that's the B story. We need to talk about the A story. I don't again. think we actually do. Mm, we do. Ah. That's what we're here for, Matt. That is uh, what we signed it's up just, for. It's just uh, it's a bunch of scenes where, like, fucking... The chief and Keiko go and it, it honestly it reminded me a lot of videos I've seen of people uh, of people in mountain gorillas. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Okay, ball. See? Yeah, ball. Yeah, I don't know. Like the thing is, Cole Meany and Rosalind Chow are both good actors. Yes, they are. And there's some pretty heavy emotional stuff here that they don't usually get to carry, mm-hmm. and they do it well. Like you got to give it credit for that. Like the script is garbage, but the emotional beats. Yeah, no, they they do as good a job as they possibly can with this. Yeah, and these two I've always bought as a couple. Yep. And I've always bought as parents. Like I don't like actors sometimes don't really convince me. That, yeah, you are just someone who lives with this kid. You're not really their parent. But yeah. These two are really freaked out. There's a point where Rosalind Child near the end is super. Oh, it's when they have to send Molly back through. Yeah. And she, she gets a little quaver in her voice and like, damn, she's good. They don't use her effectively enough. They definitely do not. All she is is mostly bitchy or, or at best kind of cute. Mm-hmm. But she had some, you know. No, she's, emotional... got some, she's got some chops there. Yeah. And they, they rarely use her to good effect, I would say. Mm-hmm. And as I recall, she doesn't show up again until the finale now. No, she's done until uh, I think the last episode, yeah. Yeah. Where, without saying what does happen, we, we see what happens, you know, like like every finale, we see what happens to each character. Yeah. And so O'Brien goes on to his next thing with his family. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's the context, is like, oh yeah, and I'm here too. Like, she's done story-wise. Yeah. So, Sad, yeah. really. It is. Um. Ugh, what else? Man, I don't know. I did not... The girl that got to play adult Mo- Molly was fine. Yeah, she was good. I guess, like, I think to myself at one point, how did you survive ten years on this planet? Ah, she just a, she can't handle being civilized. Seem all. to have a really good idea, good time hanging from trees, and that's about it. Ah, oh, and stealing balls. You're very good at stealing balls. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, where they're trying to like they they're rolling a ball back and forth between themselves, and then they roll it to her, and she runs off and adds it to a nest that she's made of ten other balls that yep. they tried this with already. <laughs> And then the chief just pulls out another ball. He's like, "All right, I guess we'll try this again." Chief, have you ever heard of the definition of, definition of insanity? Right. But here's the thing, and this kind of feeds into my good thing. Mm. The thing is, we've talked about this all along. That just about everybody, not everybody, apparently, because Gav, uh, Irish Gav, doesn't necessarily agree with this. Mm-hmm. But just about everybody thinks Chief O'Brien is the most likable guy in like all of Star Trek ever. He's definitely way the hell up there. Yes. Like, not necessarily the best, most well-rounded character, not necessarily your favorite character, but just overall the most likable guy. 
just yeah. the, the guy you see that like everyone probably gets along with him and he's nice and he's you know whatever and he's oh poor chief you know mm-hmm. you just want to ruffle that hair oh well it's yeah. very nice hair yeah well i mean he's got your hair so, so curly you know i mean his his is thinning a bit but that is true basically got your hair um but for all that he's still really kind of intolerant and impatient <laughs> i don't have time for this and i kind of like that i like yeah like it it doesn't feel contradictory it feels like I don't know. Somehow he's likable, but whenever anything like this happens, he's just like, "Ugh, I hate this. This is yeah. stupid. Why can't it stop?" Yeah. And maybe that's what makes him more likable because he's kind of relatable. I don't well, know. Well, I mean, I think that's a very accurate sort of sort of reaction to living in this world, you know? Yeah, but typically the Starfleet guys are played stoic like, "Well, this is my life now. Let's get used to it." And he's always like, "Ugh, no. Ugh. I don't want to get used to it. Let's make it back the way it was." <laughs> And he's always so sort of, I don't know, conservative, traditional, like everything about him is, let's make it the way it used to be. I don't want there to be a bunch of change. I don't want there to be a bunch of different stuff. I want it all to be the same. Yeah. That's sort of his character in a nutshell. And I kind of like that. Because mm-hmm. it's it's a lot like Kira being a relatable religious fanatic. They, they took a character trait that I don't often admire yeah, and... and made a likable character out of it. Yeah. Because he, he's he's really just bugged by all this, and he just wants it to go away. He can't like, why cope. can't we just just make her brain normal again? Yeah, he doesn't have coping skills at all. No. And for a Starfleet guy who's been through a war and now <laughs> another war. <laughs> everything? Yeah, plus two wars. Yep. Like, it feels like he should be able to adapt at this point, and he still can't. And I, I don't know, I just, a lot of that is in Colmini. The way he plays him is just like... He plays him as such a regular guy that all his reactions are such so regular guy. Mm-hmm. And I like that. Yeah. He's not the best humanity has to offer. He's just a guy. He's just a guy trying to do a, a job in a weird place. And he's he's really good at his job. Yep. And everybody the, the, likes him. But, yep. The, yeah. the weird place, less so. Yeah. He doesn't want all these aliens around. He doesn't want weird shit happening to his kid. He just wants to go home and, and, and have his... Uh, I'm, t- I'm tired of war and adventure. I just, I just want to fix shit and go to and go home on time and go home to my horrible wife. Uh huh. She just like, and I mentioned this in my in my summary. She she kind of switched back to horrible wife a little bit at the beginning. She was being so passive aggressive about that cat. Oh yeah. Oh, we have a cat now, Miles. Can we take this this the cat with us on our trip? Sure. Maybe we can leave it there. What was that? Nothing. <laughs> Ugh. God damn it, Keiko, you were getting better. Yep. Now, granted, he went and got a cat without asking, and that when you live with people, that's kind of a big decision. That is that that that's not great, but that cat was forced upon him. Yeah, that was a that was a tough situation, and they were gone for who knows how long and yeah. you know. I got lonely. I can't always have Julian around. He's got shit to do. He's he's trying to cure the uh, plague on the gamma quadrant. Still working on it. Any day now. I will not rest until well, first I should go have di- I should go have di- lunch with Garrick. Yeah. And then we've got a uh, holodeck adventure. And then, mm-hmm. of course, there's darts with Miles. Oh, and now I've got this new hologram friend called Vic. Yeah, and then I've got a date tonight. Mm-hmm. Still, I think I could squeeze in uh, maybe uh, 15, 20 minutes to work on, uh, work oh, and on then that I, cure. Then I should get some sleep. But I will not rest until... Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm really tired. Where's my night? Where's my nightshirt? <laughs> and my teddy bear, Kukulaga. Kukulaka. Sitting in the old fir tree. 
Um. Yeah. Um. I do like at one point. Uh. Uh. uh Feral Molly is running amok in Quarks. They're leaving the Hollow Suites. She doesn't want like she's abruptly been pulled out of a simulation of where she thinks of as home. Yep. Back into Quarks, kind of a, a a dim, seedy bar, which is a bit of a culture shock for her. Although she did come in through that bar, so. Uh, yeah, but you know she's been in her home for an hour. Uh huh. You know, it's like when you've been playing video games for a long time and suddenly you stop. Like, yeah, you came in through your living room or whatever, but suddenly your living room looks strange because you've been immersed. Yes. And she freaks out and she, like, stabs somebody. With and, a broken know. bottle, which, Jesus. Well, I mean, listen, she's half Irish. Yep. Let's be honest here. <laughs> she can handle herself in a barroom brawl. That is true. But uh, I like Odo's uh, security guys come in and he has to tell the guy, you uh, stun. I just, I feel, it, it almost felt like he's had to tell this guy before, don't set to kill. No. Just hey, stun. Hey, 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 friend of the family, watch it. But this was like, it was, it was two seconds that really stuck with me. Because <laughs> he just, he kind of gave the guy a look. Make sure you use stun. Come on. Oh, man. I wanted to kill. I want to watch an episode about Odo's overzealous deputy. Yep. I loved uh, Odo letting them go at the end of the episode, though. Oh, yeah. He's like, come on, man. You're, you're Chief O'Brien. I figured you'd be able to, to handle a jailbreak. What's wrong yeah, with you? Yeah, come on. You can do better than that, Chief. Oh, jeez, Odo. Th go! Get, get out of here. So I guess we're under arrest, then. No. No. Go ahead. And he's just doing it to impress Kira, who probably yeah. wouldn't even be impressed anyway. Well, she likes the O'Briens. Oh, that's true. There's actually a nice scene where she, like, right at the beginning when Molly goes missing, where the first thing Kira does is uh, try and comfort uh, Keiko. Yeah. Which is, No, it's know, nice. She's kind of in a weird way part of their family now. Yeah. Like, as much as I didn't love that whole situation, it does, like, I'm glad that they're... They're, they're not ignoring it? They're doubling down on that. They're yeah. saying, this is what, this is the choice we made, this is how these characters are related now. Mm -hmm. And I like that. Which really makes me, makes me think that, you know, if anyone should have been babysitting... Uh, Yoshi, it should have been Kira. I think they Yoshi. talked about that. I think the idea was that they traded. Like, mm. like Kira handled it for a bit, and then Worf and Dax handled oh, it Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. It's just because the B story was about Worf. Yeah. We focused on those parts, and we didn't see the others. Yeah. But, you know, if, I, I mean, when you're tending to a child, you know, a special needs child, let's say, mm. and this child definitely had special needs. Yes. Uh, it takes all of your time, like, you can use as much help as you can get. And so I assume, you know, they took shifts. I was watching this with Mal and she goes, you know, maybe the chief could take a couple of days off from his job. This might not be a bad, that might not be a bad, bad idea just now. Eh, some people need that. Yeah. Some people like I could not like, I mean, I, I'm never going to have kids and da, 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 I'd never be in a situation like this. Plus time portals don't exist. That's also a thing. But they don't, don't exist know. yet, Al. They don't exist yet. But in a crisis where I'm dealing with the aftermath, sometimes I need the stability of, okay, I'm just going to go to my job and do my job for eight hours. Yeah. No, I'm I'm like that, too. Some people need that as, as a break, in a way. Yeah. I can... <laughs> I know what I'm doing here. Like, she makes a fair point, but some... Like, it depends on your personality type. Some people yeah. need a break. Some people need stability. Like, you know, different personality types. And Chief is totally the kind of person who would keep fixing the whatever. Mm -hmm. Probably push himself too hard to, to oh, fix Oh, definitely. Yeah, that sounds... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, going back to um, Worf talking about... he At one point he says, well, I raised Alexander. Really? <laughs> you, you had him with you from ages four to seven. Yeah. That's not really raising. Really? Is that what you did? 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and by the way, you want to use Alexander as proof that you should be put in charge of a small child? Really? But he didn't he didn't even get Alexander until after like the hard part had been done. Yeah. Well, I, and the hard part lasted about 10 minutes. Well, okay. But Kalar handled the, you know, the early early stuff. Yeah. Like the diaper changing and the the teething, I assume teething for Klingons must be rough. Ugh, can you imagine breastfeeding? Ooh. <laughs> well, she's a tough lady. That, that, that is true. Yeah. She would have to be. Yep. All right. Anything else? Um no? Uh, me neither. I hate both of these episodes? Yeah, well, we're done with them now. Good. We can close the book on them. Next week, we're wrapping up season six. Yep. Two more episodes and we're done. That is, uh, wow. Yeah. Just blew right through nap time here. <laughs> uh, but that also means that a supplemental episode is coming up the following week. So, yeah, so... Uh, if you have questions for us, please send them. Yes, uh, please. Post at Horror at Gmail. Uh, I also have now set up a Facebook page. This is apparently a thing people like. I've been reluctant, but uh, giving it a try mm-hmm. for the various podcasts that I produce. This one, Sarcastic Voyage, More Bits, and my cartoon reviews, all at um, facebook.com slash Algar Productions. So if you want news about this show, uh, you know, uh, especially as we go into trying to do like live shows, as Matt mentioned earlier, yeah, uh, the invites and all the information will be there. So check that out. Uh, like the page if that's a thing you want to do, and there's that. Yeah. Uh, but that's all for now, so let's leave. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2015. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun. <laughs> <laughs>